Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast all about our tricky relationship with stuff and how to fix it. I'm Ali Moore, Head of Comms and Behaviour Change here at ReLondon, and I'm delighted to be joined today by the fabulous Sarah Beaton, who is the Senior Project Manager on our Business Transformation Programme. Hi Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi Ali, thanks for having me. Uh, Really pleased to be on an episode about one of the SMEs the Business Transformation Programme has supported, uh, particularly through the challenges of the pandemic. Yeah, we've done quite a lot, haven't we? It's it, through that pandemic. It's been such a difficult few years for so many reasons, but even more so now with the cost of living crisis, because it doesn't look like we're going to be out of the woods anytime soon in terms of pressure on people and on businesses and on councils and communities. But for our listeners, we promise this episode is pretty inspiring. It's a pretty good story. It's absolutely rooted in community and it benefits people really directly. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit more about today's guest? So our guest today is Marie Kudenek Carlisle from Goldfinger. They're a social enterprise who craft beautiful bespoke furniture and joinery from reclaimed and sustainable wood. I'm sure you can imagine that the pandemic forced loads of our SMEs to pivot their business models in order to survive, particularly those in retail or hospitality. And thanks to the Mayor of London's Green New Deal Fund, we were able to award emergency grants to a range of businesses, including this one. What's awesome about them is that they put the profit they make on the furniture they're creating into an academy where they teach generally marginalised young people from the local community woodworking skills. And on top of that, they run a volunteer-led community kitchen delivering meals to vulnerable residents in the local community. Yes, such a lot. A fantastic range of different initiatives, all from one organisation. And all of them are such tangible and practical ways of doing good for planet and people. Before we move on to the interview, Sarah, can you just tell us a little bit more about the Mayor's Green New Deal Fund that you just mentioned and a little bit about what it's about? Yeah, uh, so the Mayor of London's Green New Deal is part of the London Recovery Programme that aims to tackle the climate and ecological emergencies by doubling the size of London's green economy by 2030 and accelerating green job creation. And as we know from our recent report on the circular jobs, the circular economy could contribute over a quarter of a million new jobs to the economy just in London. For anyone who'd like to read that report, which is really impressive figures about what the circular economy can deliver in terms of jobs and skills for the city, it's on our website and it's called The Circular Economy at Work. So go in and have a little look. During the pandemic, our business transformation programme received funding from the Mayor's Green New Deal Fund to put directly towards supporting small circular economy businesses. That included awarding the emergency grants I mentioned just to help circular businesses actually make it through lockdown and come out the other side. And it also meant providing grants and advice to businesses that wanted to trial circular business models and bring about their own green recovery post-pandemic. And that had a particular focus on those that were hardest hit. Yeah, it's been really valuable support, I think. And we've got a report coming out soon showing some of the impacts of our own work using those Green New Deal funding streams. So watch out for that. There must be so much more that's been done through that initiative since the start of the pandemic. It's really great stuff. But anyway, without further ado, let's hear from today's guest, Marie Kudnek-Carlyle. She is the CEO and co-founder of Goldfinger, a social enterprise based in the iconic Trellick Tower in North Kensington. I'm uh, Marie Kudnet Carlisle, and I'm the CEO and co founder of Goldfinger, a design led social enterprise that makes the most sustainable furniture using British timbers 
or recycled wood or even timbers that have been from trees that have been felled locally due to natural reasons. And we reinvest our profits back into the local community through our teaching platform, the Goldfinger Academy, and our meals initiative, the People's Kitchen. Fantastic. Thank you very much. We're delighted to have you on the show. It's a bit of a mixed model then of an organisation, isn't it, Goldfinger? Because of the, you know, you make and sell this quite high-end furniture, but then you have these really sort of powerful local social purposes and community-based objectives. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that all fits together and where it came from in the first place? Absolutely. My passion and interest really lie at that intersection of luxury and, and sustainability. I used to work in the luxury industry, in beauty and in fashion, and I come from that world, Mm. but I I found that there was a sort of resource intensiveness and a lack of value alignment for me personally, where as I worked in those industries and and I, and I was, I was really observing what felt to me like a market failure and a gap in the market, which was that all the luxury brands producing very beautiful things, because I I do believe in the power of beauty and aesthetics and good design. Mm. But all of that was done without any consideration necessarily for for people and planet. Obviously, that industry has come a long way. But nevertheless, at the time, there really was, you were either buying from the luxury brands, or you were buying from ethical brands that Frankly, the quality wasn't there. Yeah. It just struck me that there was a real opportunity to bring the two together because when you look at, you know, circular economy and social enterprise models, you realize, you know, because sustainability for us is so much more than the planet, it's about people. Mm. That to pay people the right price, to employ people locally, to not outsource to the Far East, to get your materials locally, all that costs more. So it does command a premium positioning. Mm. And then, you know, the greatest test is even if someone who doesn't care about the social and environmental credentials, even though obviously that's what drives us, by buying the product, they are supporting the impact. I really believe that that's how you can scale and that's how you can have greater impact. It feels that that might be quite a sort of a juggling act. There's such very different customer profiles or communities that you're serving. You know, on the one hand, the meal deliveries and the work that you do with the People's Kitchen and the workshops, etc. And then potentially kind of high spending, high end customers. Do you ever get a bit perplexed by that juggling act or does it feel really natural for you and the team? Oh, I I mean, there's no doubt that it can feel like two businesses within one umbrella and they feed each Mm. other. And actually, for all the complexities that there are in dealing with very different customer groups with very different needs, we have always aimed to be a bridge between those two communities. That's that's very much the principle of Goldfinger. Mm. And it's also very much been informed and inspired by our location, being in the Royal Borough of Kensington, Chelsea, in in the Goldbourne Ward underneath the Trellick Tower, which is just a a stone's throw from the Grenfell Tower site. There's this incredible contrast of extremely wealthy next to extremely poor. And it's actually the Mm. highest income disparity in the whole country. And so we aim to turn that, that wealth gap into something positive rather than into often quite alienated communities that never speak to each other and that thing they have nothing to offer each other. We are making furniture to sell to the more affluent types of Notting Hill that are just right there. But the employment and training opportunities are for the people in the local community to do apprenticeships, do courses, as well as get free meals. 
Often the customers of the furniture also become the donors of the academy uh, or the volunteers of the people's kitchen. So there's a complete Mm. synergy between communities. And the more we can bring those communities together, the more we see that as success. So it's it's taken a while to obviously get that going. And yes, a lot of people seem to find it surprising or unusual, but I think more businesses should aim to reconcile those extremes, actually. That's really interesting that you're switching customers into volunteers and donors that's a a lovely model so can you tell us a little bit more about the furniture that you make you mentioned a few things about you know what makes it sustainable but how are you measuring your impact and what kind of impacts are you achieving yeah, so I, I mentioned the the you know what makes it sustainable from the environmental side is is what wood we use, and we're very um, inspired by our, and guided, I would say, by our manifesto, which proudly sits on the wall in our showroom and on our website. Mm. One of the the sentences in it is, "Make sure your wood hasn't travelled too far." And that really guides everything we do. So initially, we started making uh, furniture from reclaimed wood. So wood that has had another life before as a something else. And obviously, the the embodied mm-hmm. carbon in that is very low because it's had a pretty long life uh, often. An example of that is Imperial College donated over 100 teak lab desks that wow. we've been using since the 1960s when they first opened. Amazing. So, you know, that is also such an interesting case study because teak as a wood in itself, you know, now is not sustainable. It comes from the Far East. There is no FSC teak. There's, you know, there's, it's a very unsustainable wood, but it's highly desirable. It's very beautiful. It's very durable. And that's the amazing thing about wood is you can sand it back and reveal a new surface. So these desks that had been at Imperial for 60 years, you know, had all sorts of initials scratched in and gum and, but, you know, with a bit of creativity and craft and imagination, you know, that is actually just beautiful material that just needs a little bit of that manpower to add to it. So that's obviously the most sustainable source of wood that we use. And we have partnerships with businesses all all over London and the UK, from construction companies to universities to museums and retailers. At the end of life, whatever that may be, they, they get in touch and apply to donate their materials to us. But what's interesting about that is most people assume that because it's come to us for free, it must be cheaper than buying new wood. And actually, it's completely the opposite. It's most expensive. Uh, number one, the cost of acquiring it, because there's a mm. lot of marketing and partnership development. And But then there's also the labor hours in terms of transforming it into usable material again. Mm, I'm assuming that because of the slightly unplanned nature of what you're sourcing as, as raw materials, you have to constantly evolve designs as well and change what you're selling. Exactly. And I think so this part of the business is really, I would say the niche part of it in terms of using reclaimed materials, because as you say, you have no idea when it comes, there's no predictability in the supply chain. There's also no homogeneity in the wood size. It often comes in quite mm. awkward, small bits. The The imperial one is a real unicorn donation, as I like to call it. It's we don't get that every day, as you can imagine. Yeah. I'm sure. We've realized that 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 type of wood is really the haute couture of furniture. It's really going to be so expensive to make that into. And so it's really that 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 individual who usually is the private customer who wants, you know, a special desk. And it's a very, very, very high end product. 
Mm. All the commercial, which is the most of what we do, we use two types of timber, but mostly a timber called grown in Britain. Mm. You might have heard of FSC and PEFC, which are these sort of global accreditations for sustainable management. And they really assure sustainability and also legality. Yeah. But what they don't assure is provenance. Grown in mm. Britain gives you all three. They give you the provenance, they give you the sustainability, you know, responsibly manage British woodlands. So we know that then the distance traveled is as little as possible. So we've been working with them to really make sure that when we are when we are commissioned to make huge amounts of office tables or we do a lot of hotels and restaurants we're still using timber that has t- traveled as little as possible but where we can get a bit more volume mm. and the most exciting new frontier which kind of fits in between the reclaimed and the grown in britain is a new initiative that we are calling tree cycled wood which is basically fallen trees that have either fallen naturally because of storms or weather-related incidents or or disease. We've all heard of ash dieback and Dutch elm disease. There's a lot of, sadly, a lot of diseases that affect trees, but if they get caught early enough, they're still perfectly usable for for furniture, for wood and and then urban development, which obviously isn't natural, but it it's happening whether we like it or not. Sure. We were actually kind of horrified to to hear that in London alone, there's over five thousand mature trees that come down naturally, so to say, every, you know, from all those reasons every year. But over eighty percent of them are being burned for 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 biomass, biofuel. Oh wow! By burning it, we're releasing all that carbon back into the atmosphere. Whereas if mm. it's kept as wood and as as furniture, it continues to sequester that carbon. But in terms of how we measure it, yes, we measure the carbon. We have some DEFRA statistics that you will have seen quoted on our on our impact page. So we talk about the tons of carbon saved from using these different types of woods. It's still a very, very complex work tracking carbon properly because there are so many different frameworks but it's something that we're really keen to get more clarity on yeah it makes such a difference to be able to pull out those stats doesn't it It must be very helpful for you to know how to target different wood sources and things like that as well exactly so for those who don't know about the social impact elements of what you do can you just elaborate a little bit more on the 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 two strands of work that you do in that area and what the the profits get reinvested into from the furniture side. The first is the Goldfinger Academy education platform, which is very much about sharing our skills in traditional craftsmanship and sustainable design with the local community. There are three main programs. It starts with school children, 10, 11 years old. We start really young. We actually go and teach into schools with Hermes, the French luxury brand, who have developed this curriculum in France and appointed us as their UK artisan partner to teach in, in UK schools. They get to make a lamp, make a wooden object of some sort, really kind of putting craftsmanship on the map at a very early age. We then work with, and that's really our flagship program, I would say, is Future Makers, the 16 to 29-year-olds offering them traineeships and apprenticeships to give them confidence, give them career guidance and skills to enter design and craft careers. And where do you find those young people? Where do they come from? In the community. That's why we located where we are in the Goldbourne Ward, which is not a high footfall retail location at all, but is sadly, when we started, the joint most deprived ward in, in London. Yeah, it always surprises me that that part of Kensington and Chelsea is, it has those, those figures, those deprivation levels. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So we work with a lot of local organizations, uh, other community organizations and social enterprises like Construction Youth who help refer young people. We also work with some local schools and also some offender rehabilitation type organizations. We did a workshop for young offenders in the summer with Chelsea Restoration Project. Often the young people who go through our program then refer their friends to, which is always the best because they're they're often the hardest to reach. And when you get buy-in from one of them, you know, the peer review, it's so much more powerful than, you know, any any other way. And then the the work that you do around providing meals and doing cooking around Trellick Tower, did that come out of COVID? Was that what triggered that? No, no, we've been doing that since uh, since pretty much the beginning. I started that in 2015, wow. so two years after we started in, in 2013, so really early days. That started from my, my passion for food. <laughs> I'm half French, half Chinese, mm. and I, the, the cafe element was always there from day one. Yeah. I think food is a really powerful connective force to bring people together. And and the idea was also we really want to be a place where the community feels welcome. So yes, there's a shop there where there's furniture they can't afford, but the community, the cafe and the courses is they absolutely, you know, there's a real sense of place. And I think that that's really felt and understood. And so we wanted to also just showcase our values through food. So we use surplus food. We developed partnerships to collect all surplus food from local markets and restaurants and bakeries and some of our clients like Gail's Bakery, um, you know, donate bread. Mm. And and so it's a, just a real celebration of community and and a, and a beautiful feast. We have volunteers who come and sing or, or do some sort of live music. There's flowers. So it's a real elevated restaurant quality meal and a restaurant experience. But once a month, we open our doors and anybody can come for a free meal. And that was pre-COVID. And then during COVID, it went exponential. So March 2020, we had to cancel the in-person one, but we realized almost immediately and were able to fundraise through our network and the kindness of strangers, anyone hearing the story, and we're able to fundraise to do a delivery service and we're able to do it as a weekly delivery service. So during the national lockdowns for almost this two-year period, we continued to do weekly Sunday deliveries to 200 of the most low-income, vulnerable residents in our community. So all the social housing tower blocks, Trellick Tower and beyond. So yeah, it was a really wonderful way to connect with our community. It's an amazing story and and I really love the kind of duality, but the kind of interconnectedness of of what you guys do. It's really inspiring. So what's next then for you at Goldfinger? Are you aiming to to grow the the furniture business? Do you want to do more of the social enterprise? What's what's your longer term plans now? The more we grow commercially, the more we grow the social enterprise elements. You know, that's that's they're, they're complete. They're deeply connected. The more profit we have, the more impact we can make. So um, the more young people we can have through yeah. our academy. So they're, they're, the two are connected. So, yes, we do have we, we do have big growth ambitions. Our main customers are our architects and interior designers that's really the kind of the core focus of where we get our business from and, and interestingly you see how it's connected again the reason why we stand out because we are obviously an amazing furniture designer and our team is incredibly talented but what makes us stand out from the crowd is the social impact that's the no-brainer where they go no we're working with goldfinger it doesn't matter because you know they know they're going to get the same level of design and quality and aesthetics, but with this additional package of social impact. So, you know, with everyone talking about ESG and um, we are a bit of a turnkey for them because they can, by working with us, you know, there, there's a lot of impact happening down the lines. 
we're still at the beginning of our journey in many ways of getting on the map and making sure that all interior designers and architects are, are aware of us. We actually launched in Selfridges earlier this year. So we're trying to really build on that partnership and get into more retailers to really get a higher reach and uh, increase our brand awareness. So launching more, also some sort of smaller priced accessories and things to have some more entry-level items. But the collection at Selfridges is, is yet chopping boards and cake stands and bowls, as well as some furniture elements. And uh, and yeah, there are some plans uh, to internationalize as well and, and, and scale, get, get a bigger workshop and make sure that we're not shipping internationally, but actually localizing the production with local supply chains of wood. Interesting. Well, loads of luck with that. So just a really quick final question. We ask all our guests, what is giving you hope right now? What's getting you up in the morning, given the state of the world right now? For me, it really is both these concepts of social enterprise and the circular economy for me, give me a lot of hope. Business as a force for good. We have agency as and individuals as businesses, as business owners. And every small action and all positive impact you're having is having a ripple effect on, on other people as well. I really believe that small businesses, individuals have a huge amount of power in showing a different way of being, a different way of, of what success looks like. I really enjoyed that conversation with Marie. It's so encouraging to hear what an advocate she and the Goldfinger team are for using business as a force for good, and not just in some kind of abstract way, but they do it really locally and directly with the community. Absolutely. I love that they saw all of the problems and went, yep, let's sort that out. So they're having a positive environmental impact by embedded circular principles into their furniture business and then reinvesting those profits back into social impact activities. It's really inspiring, even more so because they're doing it in a part of London, which is some of the richest households living right next door to some of the poorest and actually getting those wealthier community members involved by becoming donors or volunteers in their in their work. Yeah, I love that. Reconciling those two extremes of their customer profiles. So where furniture customers get involved with their academy or meal service that also uses surplus food, by the way, it's just it's actually a circular customer model in itself, isn't it? Marie did bring up this recurring theme, though, that was mentioned uh, in a previous interview that we did with Roy Fishwick from Cleveland Steel and Tubes. And it's about this perception that donated materials are cheap and substandard quality. Why, Why do you think there's that myth? Um, I think when consumers think of luxury, there's the presumption items will be made from the best of the best and always new. And the word reclaim conjures up an image of something that's a bit run down or something we found in a skip. But like Marie says, it takes a lot of effort to source that material and find a good use for it. I think what's impressive is that Goldfinger have managed to bring together luxury with sustainability by taking that more costly material and making high-end items, which have that history because of the materials they're made with Mm. and then they've managed to kind of plug the gap with that kind of slightly unreliable source with other sustainably sourced wood it seems to come down to creating items with a story making that 60 year old chewing gum on your desk into a feature yeah yeah exactly yeah educating people about reclaimed materials is key here i think and goldfinger seem to be making strides with that both because they make that super desirable furniture and they tell its sustainable story but they also do their, you know, they run their academy and educational outreach. So they're managing to kind of really help with the educational side of things. It's really great that they're teaching in school to children as young as 10, for instance, and working with luxury fashion brand Hermes on their Future Makers Apprenticeship Scheme. I love that. 
Um, they must be doing something right if apprentices are getting recruited from word of mouth peer review. That's pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. I really like that they're bringing sustainability to this luxury sector, but that social impact is just an amazing USP. There's the obvious connection between the furniture business and the academy, and then you have that third part providing free meals to vulnerable people and creating a community around the cafe by creating that special experience that Marie described. Mm, Yeah, really powerful. It's great that the funding from the Green New Deal allowed them to keep doing what they do, I guess, throughout the pandemic and beyond as well as all the help that you guys bring in the business transformation team, you support loads of brilliant waste-busting SMEs and you did it through you do it through these funding opportunities, amongst other things. So It's honestly such a privilege to work with these inspirational founders that are so driven to solve the problems they see. But like Marie said, if you're a small business, you don't have to be a social enterprise to make a difference in your local area. We recently worked with a small cafe doing all sorts of things to reduce their waste. And one of the ways was making cup holders out of old oat milk cartons, which the customers loved. And it just starts a conversation with local people people bringing them their awareness to sustainable ways of living mm. quick shout out to egg lay at gerda sole taste of italy in finsbury park there nice nice might go might head that way on the weekend um so before we finish sarah we normally share a few tips and hints for people who are interested in the topic covered in each episode but it's quite tricky this time because goldfinger do such a mix of things and their core business is to be fair, a pretty specialist and expert thing. So we're not all going to make gorgeous furniture out of reclaimed wood, at least I'm not. But how about this as a first thought? When you're thinking about buying a new piece of furniture, why not do a quick internet search for sustainable and secondhand furniture shops in your neighbourhood? You can often find something unique and those secondhand items, they might need just a little bit of sanding down and a polish or a lick of paint, but there'll be a fraction of the cost of a new one. Or, of course, if you do have a bigger budget and you want something really special, I'd recommend taking a look at Goldfinger's website, which is goldfinger.design. One from me, more on the food side of things. Uh, Part of a more circular economy for food is making sure that surplus or unsold food is redistributed to those who need it. There are lots of opportunities across London to work at food banks or for food delivery programmes or just to donate some food or money. Take a look at organisations like the Felix Project and City Harvest to see what they need right now or check out your local community centre where they may be running community kitchens and meals like the ones that Goldfinger run in Trellick Tower. Yeah, it's a great idea. And if you don't have the time to volunteer or the cash to donate, you can at least make a small but very important contribution to food waste by putting your own unwanted food items on apps like Olio or by picking up food that might otherwise go to waste via apps like Too Good To Go or Karma. Workday lunches I found are particularly good for this. So there's loads of central London cafes, takeaways and restaurants that sell unsold meals on apps like Karma for you know a fraction of the price so take a look and see what cheap deliciousness you can find yeah i'm always happy to do my bit for food waste by eating all the leftovers <laughs> one last thought back to furniture there are workshops and classes right across london where you can learn how to do basic furniture repairs and upcycling including soft furnishings and they're not just fab evening or weekend activities to book for yourself but they make great christmas and birthday presents too oh we love an experience uh, a few of our favourite classes along these lines are at Petite Miracles in Shepherd's Bush, the Good Life Centre in Southwark, at Shoreditch Design Rooms, obviously in Shoreditch, and the School of Stuff in sunny Dalston. Yeah, all great recommendations. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks so much for co-hosting me today. It's been, it's been pretty inspiring stuff, isn't it? It has been so inspiring. I'm feeling in a good mood. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Circular Economy Playbook. You can catch up on all our other episodes and hear from more brilliant innovators and activists on this podcast feed. So just subscribe in your favourite app. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet us at relondon underscore UK or head to the website relondon.gov.uk. See you again soon. 